Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. So, so tonight is going to be a little weird, all right? How many feel a little weird tonight? How many are sitting by someone that just raised their hand and you're like, I could have told you that, right? Okay. So, so tonight, uh, the majority of the teaching is going to be introduction. It's all about context tonight. And then at the end, I'm going to just lob at you in like four minutes the points. Is that cool? Just so you know ahead of time. And then we're going to come and pray. And when we come and pray, God is going to move upon us. And probably most of you have found in your own personal life that um, prayer usually doesn't start off with, oh, I just, the biggest thing, the, the, the most uh, impassioned thing in my heart right now is to pray. Usually prayer starts out a little clunky and awkward. Have you felt that? So that you may, I mean, God may just drag you into his presence and you're singing the hallelujah chorus or whatever, but it very well may be that you've got to give it a little gas. You've got to press down the accelerator a little bit at the end. And I challenge you, let's go after God tonight. Let's just press in and dive in. And we're going to open up these altars and pray. But I just want to reserve one small spot at the altar, okay? It'll be this way in every service. So over here from the, there's steps right here. If you can't see, there's steps down here. All around this edge, this edge of the, the front edge of the stage is going to be the, hey, I want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit zone, It'll be that way every service, and so if you tonight, you go, I came tonight to receive that, or I want to receive that tonight, you just come and stand here and touch your toes against the edge of the steps or against the edge of the front of the stage, and that's a real easy way for myself and the pastors and other prayer partners. We'll know exactly why you're there, and we won't have to interrupt you, and we can just sneak right over and pray for you, and Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Plus, we've installed electrodes all along the edge, and that just helps a little bit. Okay. So, um, so take advantage of that. All right, well, let's dive in tonight. Um, I want to show you a picture of some buckets for a moment. So hit me with the bucket picture, if you would, please. So we have the mind bucket and the spirit bucket. Let me kind of explain the way we're talking about this. When we think of the mind bucket, we think about our intelligence and our understanding. How many of you have a brain how many after like a long week of work, you're not sure anymore, right? You know, but when we think about our brains, I'm speaking about the mind and spirit as in how we relate to and understand and process the things of God. I would say that the vast majority of all that we encounter from God can be processed with our mind on some level. In fact, a lot of it has to do with having some kind of routine in our life, whether it be devotions or going to church or reading our Bible or praying, taking communion, fellowshipping together, discipleship. It has to do with some routinization of, of biblical principles. And we get it. We know that, hey, you got to wake up in the morning and go to work or go to school or whatever it is. We understand routine. Now, how do we get information from the world around us into our mind bucket, onto our hard drive? How do we process that? How, what are our peripheral devices that help us get information from the world around us? Are your eyes? That's one way, yeah. Ears? Oh, we're hitting hard now. Okay. Yeah, our senses, right? So we see, we hear, we taste, we touch. 
uh, we smell, etc. So we experience the world around us through senses. And so this is one of the ways that God uses, after all, he created us in this way. This is one of the ways that God uses to help us to understand him as well as like, hey, I don't know if you, when you walked in, if you smelled the smell of tacos, but they had a taco bar. Um, it wasn't for the mere church attenders. It was just for the worship team. And the speaker straggled in at the last minute. So I was, it was good, by the way. But it was like when Mary broke the alabaster box when I came in right before service. I was like, I smell tacos. And my taco detector kicked in, and I found, I wasn't exactly sure where to go, but I kind of found the way, you know, because I followed the, followed the smell. And so we experience the world around us both in normal things in life, but spiritually. Like, think back to the tabernacle and temple in the Old Testament. So the tabernacle was the portable version and the temple when it was permanentized, you know. And so you have in those three zones of worship in the tabernacle or the temple in the outer court. How many remember the outer court, right? So probably weren't there but because I, I see some people with snow on the roof, but probably no one that looks old enough to have been there. And so in the outer court, we had three or two basic items. Do you remember what they were? What was one of them? The laver. So the laver, if you took a little Latin or no, even a little Spanish, to wash, lavar, you know, to wash. So the idea of the laver was basically like a big bird bath on a pedestal. And then at the bottom of the base was another big basin. So the priest could go before the bronze sea. Uh, so the priest could go and wash their hands and feet before they went to worship the Lord. But it wasn't like a surgical wash with loofah and, you know, detergent and kerosene and everything. It was a, a ceremonial idea. And it's kind of interesting, you know, if there's some uh, good historical writings, um, there's a, a, a series of writings called the Mishnah, which is not Bible, but it's a good history and kind of tips from the priests from generation to generation of, hey, we do this, we do that, and this is how we kind of fulfill these things. And again, you don't draw precious promises from it, but it's good history. And in the Mishnah, it says that the water in the laver and the upper basin was never to be less than a span down from the brim, the deep basin. And the idea was that the water was down in there so that the wind would minimally disturb the surface of the water because it was very important for the priests before they went to wash their hands ceremonially, dip their hands and then dip their feet in the bottom, that it was very important for them to see their own reflection so they would say, this person, this man needs cleansing from God before I approach his presence. Think about all the senses, the sense of the cool or warm water, the tactile sense of having wet hands and feet and seeing your reflection. What else was in the outer court? Yeah, the, the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice. And so, I don't know about you, anybody like good barbecue? I mean, uh, it, it, was a, it was a good smell. And so there was all that. I've heard people say, oh, it smelled like a slaughterhouse. Well, if you've ever been, I mean, slaughterhouses don't smell very good. Um, but, I mean, trust me, I know I'm an Eagles fan, and it's been that way all season. But then, if you've ever been around, like, a good barbecue, uh, you know that smell of, of smoked meat is a pretty intense smell. And so an overriding smell. And so you have that going on, plus the vision of the fire and the sense of perhaps it was warm when you approach that big, especially in the, in the, in the final temple, the massive uh, uh, brazen grate that was there and all this stuff. And so you have the idea of the visualizing of the fire and the, and the smell of smoke and all the perceptions involved. Then you go into the middle of the zone of temple, the holy place, which had three things in it. 
the table of showbread, right? And Jesus is everywhere. He's the bread of life, you know. Um, like the fre- Anybody like fresh bread? Sorry, keto people, but it, it is one of the better smells in life. And so then you have um, the big lampstand. It looks like a, looked like a Hanukkah menorah, you know, the, the multiple-armed uh, lampstand. Jesus is the light of the world. And then, of course, the altar of incense was there as well. And we kind of wonder what that is until we get to the book of Revelation. And finally, we go, the Lord goes, hey, the altar of incense, that's the prayers of the saints ever before the Lord, symbolic of prayer and certain smells, you know. And then, of course, in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and we learn from Indiana Jones, don't lift the lid or your face turns to macaroni and cheese. Remember that? But um, it's, it's, it's interesting, all the senses involved in all this. Like even right now, you are sitting in a building that you either have been at before or you learned the location by Google or a friend. So you learned it intellectually. You came in, you sat, you selected a seat, you sat. We've sung songs in a learned language that you learned most likely as a child, a very young child. Um, and then now we're communicating, we're talking about something that we all kind of have a point of reference on about God and his ways because we've learned through all the... I mean, the vast majority of our spiritual interaction happens in the mind bucket. And our minds are not bad or evil. Uh, I mean, they can be, but if you've given your life to Jesus, anybody given your life to Jesus? Then you belong to him, right? You and I belong to him. And so we encounter him in different ways, certainly not perfect, you know, but uh, we encounter him in these ways. Now, we also have the spirit bucket. Now, when we think of the spirit bucket, we're not talking about, um, you could do capital S or lowercase s, but certainly the Holy Spirit's influence is there. But when I speak of our spirit, I'm talking about the way human beings relate to the supernatural. So before we're saved, we have an indiscriminate receiver. It's like a TV that receives every channel, but at the same time, and you can't tell what's what. And so, you know, we're open to any kind of spiritual influence. We have indiscriminate reception. But when we're saved, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Did you know that? If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, whether you feel him or not. He lives inside of you. And so all of a sudden, we have now, we get one channel really clear, and we know exactly what it is, but we now also certainly can have other spiritual influences. We're tempted, etc. But we know one, like, like for example, uh, how many of you sense the Holy Spirit's presence during worship? Okay, when that happened, when you began to sense him, he, of course, was already here, but when you began to sense him, you didn't go, hey, wait a minute, who is this? What am I feeling? It resonated right away. You discriminated uh, in a positive way, this is, this is the Holy Spirit. It's not anyone else but the Holy Spirit. I'm at home. I'm at peace with this. And you knew who he was. You were able to determine it was him. And so we recognize the Holy Spirit at work. Now, when we think of the spirit bucket, though, as we relate to the supernatural, I think a lot of people are frustrated because the spirit bucket processing apparatus and rules are very different than the mind bucket rules. So we like to say, well, you know, I, you know, I kind of, I heard God's voice. I felt his presence. The Lord showed me something. I saw a vision, you know. Um, we experience the Holy Spirit in different ways, and we use sensory language to describe it. 
But it's most often metaphors, isn't it? It's not really literal. I saw something. The Lord spoke to me. Here I have it on recorded on my iPhone, you know. Hey, Tim, this is Jesus. Sorry you didn't take my call, you know, whatever. Um, but it, we, we use sensory language over here in the mind bucket, but we don't use it in a literal way. In fact, I would say that probably not only the vast majority of Christian encounter is, happens with our understanding at work, but I would say, and I'm unanimous in this, that the vast majority of Christians spend the majority of their life standing in the mind bucket only, and every once in a while kind of testing the waters of the spirit bucket. And a lot of people are afraid, well, you know, I, I've been over there before, I've encountered things, I've felt things, or I have a crazy uncle, you know, and he's, you know... When he was young, he used to do Jericho marches. Remember those? I was a kid. I was always perplexed by that. I was like, man, we just did a building campaign. You want this thing to fall down? You know? But they would always stop at six, which I thought was wise. Um, but now that your uncle is older, now he's just doing Jeritol marches, which are a little slower. You know, they have lots of pit stops to the bathroom, too. And, um, but uh, it's, it's like a lot of people go, well, I kind of I want to experience God more, and I want to, you know, whatever, but... I'm just afraid. I don't want to become the weird one or whatever. I don't want to. A lot of people are afraid they're going to fall off the edge or they don't understand the Spirit's ways and they still think in this one regard, even though they're saved, they still comprehend the Spirit world like they did before they were saved and they think they have a now an indiscriminate receiver and they're afraid that if they open up to the Holy Spirit, they'll open up to all spiritual things and then they'll kind of lose themselves and gravity will shake loose and they'll float off into the cosmos or they'll fade away or end up in some, you know, mirror universe or some weird thing or they'll, and they'll be in church and everything's normal. The Holy Spirit will fall upon them and they'll fall down and, you know, drool all over themselves and wake up two weeks later in the drainage ditch in front of the church with a bean can on their head going, what happened? You know, having, having lost time. Because there's so much, there's a tension between the mind and the spirit. Not a sinful one, but a tension of understanding. And so a lot of people expect, because we're so mind-oriented, we expect the spirit to operate by the same rules, but the spirit operates by different rules, especially when we're born again. And so a lot of people say, well, I really want to encounter the Holy Spirit in deeper ways, but I just don't know how? I don't know how to weigh it. I don't know how to judge these things. And, and I'm not sure really what I'm looking for. I mean, I know the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, but I'm afraid I'm going to be one of those weird people or that all of a sudden if the Holy Spirit falls upon me and you know, I have some things happen to my life that all of a sudden now I'm going to have to believe every book in the Christian bookstore and be all in for Christian TV and whatever. You know, A lot of people don't think, they think that if you just you know, take steps that you're going to fall all the way in. And that there might be danger over there. But remember, the Holy Spirit is God's personal spirit. Those six words are, to me, the most important words that can be spoken about the Holy Spirit. That's the definition of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God's personal spirit. He doesn't do anything against the will or mind of God. He only does God things, and really his favorite thing is to reveal Jesus in our lives in every way. So trusting the Holy Spirit is essential, and realizing that he's not going to take us away from the purposes of God or make us look stupid. I had one person say, I'm afraid if I open up to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to make myself look stupid. And I was able to assure him, brother, trust me, you do better at that yourself, you know? And 
it's important to recognize when, when we're yielding to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's working in us, things go a whole lot better than they do when you and I are at the steering wheel, don't they? And so when we think about the spirit bucket, if the five senses don't work, even though we use the language, um, if the five senses don't work, how do we navigate, how do we process the spirit bucket side of things? Well, uh, we have, we, I was born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I married in Kansas, so we lived in, a, in Pennsylvania the first few years of our marriage, and then we moved and relocated to Wichita, Kansas, and we've been there the last, I guess, 25 now, something like that, 24, 25 years. And based, it's, we're 40 miles south of the dead geographic center of the continental United States, which means we're in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, but if you've flown on a plane ever in your life, it, it came from Wichita. But um, that's, that's kind of where we live. So um, in, outside of Wichita, which is the biggest city, it's like 700,000 plus burbs. Outside of Wichita, you drive 15, 20 miles out of the city limits, and it is just farm and ranch. It's wheat and cattle wherever you go, pretty much any direction. And there are some other population centers, but that's kind of, kind of the heart of the state for population. And there are, out in western Kansas, there are some cattle ranches that are 100 plus, 100 plus square miles one landowner. And there are actually more black Angus cattle in Kansas than there are human beings. That's kind of interesting, you know. And so um, now you're like, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Pretty much nothing, but I was just telling you about my state. No. Um, so let me give you a metaphor to help us to understand things because it's kind of Jesus' way. Something you don't understand, the kingdom of God, is like something you do understand. And he gives the example. So here's the way this works. You don't even have to have been to a Kansas cattle ranch to imagine this big expanse of land and a bunch of lumbering black Angus cattle all over that ranch worth about like 3,500 bucks a piece. So if you have a cattle ranch that's got 50,000 head of cattle on it, that's a lot of money, right? And so around the perimeter of your ranch, you would build what? A fence. The fence is there not so much to keep people out because you all know and I've experienced as well that a well-motivated thief knows no barriers, right? But the fence is around the perimeter of the ranch to keep the assets in, to keep the cattle in, right? And so it's important. We know when you see that fence, you go on the other side of that fence, that land belongs to somebody, and it marks for you. So the way we navigate the spirit bucket, even though we use sense language from the mind bucket, the way we navigate the spirit bucket is with Holy Spirit tools now that we're saved. And those two Holy Spirit tools we can kind of understand from the ranch metaphor. So the first is the first Holy Spirit tool is the Word of God. Did you know the Holy Spirit's the author of the Bible? The Second Peter 1.21 says that the Holy Spirit moved upon holy men of old to write the Scripture. So we use the word of God. The word of God is like the perimeter fence around the ranch. We know everything inside of that fence belongs to God. It's who he is, what he wants us to know, his plan revealed, how we can cooperate with him, what he expects, what he requires, the end destination for those who follow him, the end destination for those who don't. I mean, we know a lot about God, though not everything, because God's pretty big. You can't fit him into a book. But the word of God is accurate and helps us to fully understand everything that God wants us to know about him up to this point, right? 
How many think it's going to be awesome in heaven to learn more and more and more and more and more about him every day and for eternity? So we know, it's like, well, wait a minute, that the word of God says this. That's why we can judge things. If we're standing over here in the mind bucket and we start feeling the Holy Spirit moving, we're kind of leaning, doubling our toe in the spirit bucket a little bit. We feel the Holy Spirit moving and somebody begins to prophesy, my children, my children, uh, God's name is, you know, King Kong and you need to all worship him, whatever. You go, wait a minute, that's not in the word of God. And right away, you know, that's something outside of the fence. And so it resonates in your heart. Something happens, it's the Holy Spirit. You almost don't even question it because there's such an interior resonance. The spirit who has lived inside of you since you were saved bears witness with what his exterior activity is. And it's just a sense of, everything's all right, you know it, you know, but something else happens, your discernment kicks in, you get some spiritual indigestion, and all of a sudden you say, something's wrong here. So we have the word of God. The second tool we have to help us to navigate the spirit bucket, not just the word of God, but the leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. Now the leadings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit find their way in the ranch metaphor too. For whatever reason, in a lot of cattle ranches, and and I've been to three or four of them now, but they, they typically have some wild horses running around there. I'm not exactly sure why, if it's just for the amusement of the owner or if they serve a particular purpose, but it's interesting. In one particular one, we were at near Goodland, Kansas, which is way up in the northwest. Um, they had three or four Mustang horses on there. Have you ever seen like a real Mustang horse? It, and it's, it, it's pretty amazing. Uh, where I was raised uh, in Pennsylvania, they had maybe 10 miles away the relocation service from the government for wild horses, and you could go there and adopt them, and, but they were wild, I mean, really wild. But I remember standing there, and there'd be hundreds of them in this huge acreage, about 200 acres, wooded land, with, they would come and, and dump the horses off, and when they were trying to, trying to relocate them, like, kind of like a, a big pet adoption agency, you know. And uh, I remember you could see the difference between the different types of horses that were there. But seeing a wild, wild Mustang horses, it's quite an, uh, quite an interesting thing. I mean, there's explosive energy that's there. So you've got, by contrast, you have the lumbering black Angus cattle. If you were flying over with like a helicopter or a drone or something, you'd see all these black dots of lumbering, stagnant, standing, looking around, chewing the cud, black Angus, right? The only time there's ever activity there is like Valentine's Day, and that's it, right? The rest of the year, just nothing. But you look around and you see those black Angus, or I mean, you see the Mustang horses, and right away your attention is drawn because there's so much activity. They're jumping and running. They're about explosive energy, like different breeds of dogs have different, you know, you got a husky or you have a, you know, some kind of springer or something or greyhound. They're all about activity. You've got yourself a sleepy beagle. You know, it's a different story or a bloodhound, you know. And uh, I mean, your, your bloodhound sleeps more than grandma. You know, it's just, just kind of the way it is. And the same way there's a difference in that, but your attention is attracted right away to the action and activity, but it's on the ranch. The leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit are like that. Like, for example, let's say tonight at the end of worship, um, you know, or at the end of prayer time, you're, you're up here, and I say you're an SEU Ohio student, and you're, you're up here, and all of a sudden, Caleb, God just speaks to you, and you go to your parents, and you go, man, the Lord is calling me to be a missionary. I'm going to go, and I'm going to, I feel like God wants me to minister to the survivors of the Alderaan genocide, and that's me. I'm, I'm here, my Lord, send me. And so, 
you're, you're praying. It's not because you've never heard of missionaries before or that God sends people out of their comfort zone to work, but God has drawn attention to something within the context of his word that you know solidly to be from him, right? And he's put attention and he's personalized it and put urgency upon it. You validate it with the word, but out of the knowledge that you have of that, he's highlighted something. And that's why I like to say that the Holy Spirit's leadings are most often not so much informational as they are activational. I mean, they can be, but most often they're activational. He's activating you to go and do something you know. Like a missionary comes here and they're speaking. You already know about giving, but when the missionary comes and the Holy Spirit sparks your heart and the Lord's like, hey, dump your 401k into them because they're you know, taking the gospel to wherever, and you're you know, like, yes, you, know, you follow the Lord's leading. The reason why is because he has activated you. He has drawn attention to a specific area on the ranch. The wild horses don't leave the ranch, but they're in there. They serve a purpose. And so when we understand this, it helps us because we resonate with the Spirit. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you have the ability, the ability to identify his channel, to identify his voice, his leading, it's built in. That's why you can feel the presence of God. That's why you can become aware of him. But when he leads and guides you, he activates you most often to something that you already understand or that you're discovering from the word. He activates that thing and makes it very real and personal. This is how the spirit bucket works. It's very, very different than the mind bucket. Now, with all of this in place, my goal tonight uh, in, in sharing with you is that I believe probably most of us are standing solidly two feet in the mind bucket. And I'm not here to say your mind is bad, unless you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. But to say simply that, that oh, what, what? They're the worst. How can you be for them? All right, anyway, all right. So if you are a Christian who's a Dallas Cowboys fan, when you get to heaven, you don't get a mansion. You get a golden van down by the river. I believe that. I believe that, don't you? It's off the ranch, but I believe it nonetheless. Um, but our goal tonight is to help us all to kind of loosen one of our feet out of the mind bucket and lean a little bit more into the spirit bucket. We don't want to stand all the way over there. We want to find some place more in the big safe middle. But I would guess that most of us need to go more towards the spirit bucket so that we can experience the fullness of what we have. We can understand in part, said Paul said, but we also prophesy in part. There's a spiritual understanding and in fact, there are five times in Paul's letters when he contrasts the mind and the spirit. And the biggest discourse of this is in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. And I want to invite you to stand with me to your feet. And let's read this together. Would you do that in honor of the reading of God's word? And look for some of the mind-spirit language that the apostle Paul uses. Um, pay attention to see what he says. This is the longest of these discourses. You ready? But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, 
so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Father, thank you for your word. Let it find a deep resting place in our heart. Thank you, Lord, that we can just trust your word. We never have to wonder, well, is this really going to happen? Is this re-? We trust you, Lord. In fact, we've staked our entire future upon you. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight to lean somewhere a little more towards the safe middle in the mind spirit bucket issue. Teach us your ways. Help us to encounter you and help us to not be frustrated that the mind bucket and spirit bucket work differently, but help us to revel in the lifetime of experience that we can have. Teach us your ways. And I pray, God, tonight, even during the teaching of your word, that your healing grace will fall upon this room. Jesus, everywhere you want, you taught and healed hand in hand. And we expect nothing less than the fullness of who you are to be revealed tonight. May the healing presence of Jesus move and minister even right now. May many suddenly be aware of your healing grace just moving in upon them. Thank you for that, Lord. We bless you tonight. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated if you like. So could we go back to the first scripture slide, please? And thanks so much to the amazing tech folks. You guys are awesome. So uh, uh, Paul starts out here, you know, 1 Corinthians is his response letter uh, to, um, he received at least one, 1 Corinthians 1 talks about he received a letter from a lady named Chloe from his previous church in Corinth. He was there for a year and a half, founded that church, met Priscilla and Aquila, and you know some of the stuff about Corinth. And so then Paul hopped on. Uh, boat, and he stopped off in Ephesus. He dropped off Priscilla and Aquila there, said, get the lay of the land, find some converts. I heard Apollos was here preaching, so gather the converts together. I'll be back. And then he went on to Jerusalem, and then he came back about six to nine months later. When he gets there, Acts 19 happens. He finds the converts uh, from Apollos' uh, ministry there with Priscilla and Aquila, and they get baptized in the Spirit, and it starts the biggest revival recorded in the New Testament, the Great Ephesian Revival, which brought the gospel all over Asia and through the Roman Empire. It eventually would be the catalyst that Christianized Rome, which was good to a certain point before it went the wrong way. But uh, so it was a big, big deal. Ephesus, where Paul wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians from, was Paul's most fruitful ministry and his longest ministry in any one spot. He was there for three years. About halfway through his time in Ephesus, he gets a letter from the Corinthian church. We know of that one letter from the household of Chloe mentioned in chapter one. And she basically says, Pastor Paul, help us. We're in trouble since you've left. We've got doctrinal problems and practical problems, and we need you to clear some things up. So the Apostle Paul writes back 1 Corinthians to them. It's an, if you've read it before, it's obviously an issue response letter. Now I hear there's lawsuits among you. Now I hear there's immorality among you. Now I, I hear there's matters of conscience issues. Now about the Lord's Supper. Now about the coming of the Lord. Um, now about spiritual gifts. And he just kind of checks the boxes responding back to them. Our text, chapter 2, is in the introductory part. Chapter 1 is a, hey, remember me, you know, kind of stuff. Here's how I founded your church, and here's how I got this letter. Now, and then chapter 2, he's kind of hitting on some of the broad issues in a general way, introducing 
before he hops in and answers their questions, all right? So you're gonna see a lot of the little issues that he deals with. So we've hopped in um, about a third of the way through chapter two. Paul says, just as it's written, quoting Old Testament scripture, things which the eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, pause there, he's using sensory language, isn't he? He's saying there are things which your eye can't see. Our eyes can't see everything. Our senses are inadequate to understand everything spiritually. Things which the ear has not heard, your senses can't get you everywhere that God wants to take you. Things which have not entered the heart of man, that's cardia in the Greek, and I don't think he's speaking about, you know, our two atria and two ventricles. And by the way, I just want to go on record, I'm really thankful that Jesus doesn't physically live in my heart. Because you think about, I mean, there's no stent or angioplasty in the world that would help you then, right? Um, but it's the same way the Bible uses that reference once about Jesus being in our heart, although really the, the main biblical reference about God in us is the Holy Spirit in, you know, dwelling in our physical body, right? How many of you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So, but this idea um, of would not enter the heart of man is an obvious nod from Paul speaking about our greatest desires and longings, and in context, our greatest desires and longings for God. Paul says you can't get everywhere God wants to take you by your senses, or even the greatest things you've longed for are still inadequate because our longings are based on knowledge only. But then he goes on to say all those things... God has prepared, and this is a weird tense in the Greek, he has prepared in the past, but he's prepared for our future glory, is the way that this verb is in the Greek, for those who love him. So Jesus, like the Keith Green song, I can't wait to get to heaven. In six days you created everything, but you've been working on heaven 2,000 years. I was speaking to pastor's father-in-law, we were talking Keith Green before church. If you don't know who Keith Green is, how do you even know if you're saved? That's all I want to say, right? Okay, so, but, um, but it's the idea... Jesus went to prepare a place for us. He's preparing, and he's preparing it for our future glory. So you get the sense on that? Okay. All those things, the things you can't get just in the mind bucket only, God has prepared for us. You go, oh, he's talking about heaven until the next verse. Look at the next verse, please. But for to us now, the Greek tense changes, right? Right now, God has revealed them. What is them? The things your senses and your longings can't understand. The places you can't get to God. Right now, God has revealed them how? By his spirit. I want to tell you, as a Christian, if we want to truly fulfill the will of God and be who God wants us to be, we all need to always be fostering a greater openness to the things of the spirit. That was a great spot to say amen or I'll drink to that. See if you can get sharper on that as we go next time, all right? So he goes on then to kind of gives a little, lays some understanding and then amplifies it. He goes, for the spirit searches all things, not just mind things, not just what you're aware of, all things. He is omniscient, all-knowing, right? Searches all things, even the depths of God. Remember who the Holy Spirit is? God's personal spirit. Okay, so he searches all things, even the depths of God. Then he gives an analogy. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of God which is in him? So that's like saying, nobody knows what you're thinking but you. I mean, obviously God does. But aren't you glad there's not like a TV screen in the back of your head that just betrays all of your thoughts to the people behind you? 
Wouldn't that be the worst? You're like, this guy's a loser up there. Man alive, why did I come here tonight? I could have watched Netflix and slept, whatever, you know. Um, But if you struggle with paranoia, maybe there is one back there. How do you know? Right? So, um, but nobody knows your thoughts but you. Then he says, likewise, or even so, nobody knows the thoughts of God except whom? The Spirit of God. Wow. Again, a lot of people don't trust the Holy Spirit because for whatever reason they're suspicious or they always weigh who the Holy Spirit is off of other people's behaviors instead of the Word of God. That will always, people are weird, all right? The Holy Spirit's not weird. He's the Spirit of Jesus. And to be afraid of the Holy Spirit is actually to be afraid of Jesus. So he goes on to say, now he applies it, now we as believers have received, past tense, whom? The Spirit who is from God. When you're saved, the Spirit comes to live inside of you. We've received the, not the lowercase s spirit of the world, indiscriminate receiver. We have received the capital S spirit who is from God. Why? What's it say? So that we may know revelation, understanding. Not some spooky thing where you're like sitting at the breakfast table. There are some people that are so spooky spiritual, they're just paralyzed. They just do nothing, you know, but act weird. They're sitting at the breakfast table. They have the cabinet door open for the cereal. They're like, oh, Lord, oh, Spirit, lead me. Shall it be booberry, Cap'n Crunch, or all brand? Only thou knowest my innermost parts, Lord, you know, whatever. And then after like an hour and a half, they go, Lord, do I perceive you're calling me to a fast, you know? Because I, but they're just so spooky. They're at, re- they're, they're stagnant and they are immovable and immobilized. Well, we have the word of God to keep us mobile on the Spirit's things. But he goes on to say, we've received the Spirit of God so that we may know the things, have understanding in ways and areas that we are incapable in our, just our mind alone to understand. Like, uh, remember, remember that old, anybody been around church for a long time? You can tell when you raise your hand, there's a cobweb that stretched from your elbow to your hip, whatever, you know. Like, you still know that, you know, the hymn numbers from Hymns of Glorious Praise, you still know right away, like 18's Greatest Life Faithfulness, et cetera, right? 144 is something else. And anyway, I'm so glad we didn't have hymn 666, you know, but... If it was, it'd probably be that sloppy wet kiss song. Um, but um, it was like, there, we used to sing a song on Easter Sunday all the time, He Lives. Anybody remember that one? He lives, he lives. Uh, uh, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart, you know. And the idea is you're looking for, all, it talks about general revelation, all the world around me I see, you know. But, but you want to know why I know he lives I've received a notarized FedEx from heaven's attorney. I have a DNA swab of God's mouth, you know? No, you ask me how I know he lives in the mind bucket? He lives in here somewhere where you can't see him, and I can't scientifically prove. There's an inner knowing. That's what this is talking about here. Can you go back one just for a moment, please? He says, we have received the spirit who is from God, so that we may know. Did you know that you can know things in your spirit? Like, for example, a great example of this, the best probably, how many of you 
believe that Jesus died and rose again? Give me a wave, okay? Any of you there? Any of you have, you know, pictures or video clip on your phone of it? But how many of you actually believe that Jesus died and rose again more than you believe you're going to get another paycheck? So you know, you have spiritual knowing that's not based on senses, right? For the biggest thing of all. So we've received that we may know the things seldomly, infrequently, once in a blue moon, once in a lifetime received from God. What's the word say? Freely. It's the same word in the Greek when James and James 1 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God and it will give it to you generously, freely, liberally. In other words, God's got a bigger scoop than your ice cream can, cone can hold, you know, right? Generously, liberally. So like a lot of people think that encounters with the Spirit uh, and, and opening up to Him are like, oh yeah, well once at a summer camp when you're a teenager, and then when you hold your first baby, it's kind of spiritual. And then, you know, like as you get older, you know, the things from God kind of begin to wane in your life. Sorry if that's your name, no offense, but begin to wane. And, and uh, then, you know, like when... You're like in your 60s, and it's like a big deal to get the front parking space, and that's the way you know it's God, especially if it's like Christmas Eve, you know, and then, you know, whatever. And, and so, but it, it's, we're wired for supernatural interaction. That's who we are as Christians. And if our Christianity is only brain, we're missing out on a large portion of what God has for us. To know the things freely given to us by God. Next one, please which things we also speak, we communicate, we verbalize, but not in words formed by human wisdom, but in those formed or taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts, concepts, understandings with spiritual words. This is actually defines what prophetic is. Not speaking out of your mind bucket, but speaking out of your spirit bucket as the Holy Spirit is influencing you. Letting him doing the data work, but you're verbalizing it. This, of course, is an obvious nod to the spiritual gifts chapters, 12, 13, and 14, particularly prophetic giftings. All right. Then the next one, but a natural man. Natural man here in the Greek is psuchikos. It's not a bad person. It's actually where we get our word psychology from. It's not a bad person. It's a person without the spirit in them. In other words, a lost person. How many of you know lost people are never the enemy? I see Christians weaponizing their faith to attack lost people. I'm going to tell you, the secular world could care less about our pickets and our boycotts and all that stuff because they don't have the spirit inside. They don't understand. What do we do with lost people? We communicate Jesus, not our dismay with them. People go, well, they need to know what we believe. Well, we need to shine Jesus, right, is the most important thing here. A lot could be said there. Um, Natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Their foolishness. They don't understand the ranch. They only have the senses. They, you ask me how I know he lives? Well, I don't have the scientific proof, therefore he doesn't live. They don't have the spirit inside. This is why we, we don't get angered by the lost. We pray to have the heart of God and the leading of the spirit in how to deal with them. 
But when you don't understand where they're at, as Paul clearly explains, then your frustration, typically, usually all anger comes out of some level of frustration. And all of a sudden now you say, well, to your kid or grandkid, well, you can never come darken the door of my house again until you start living right. You know better, just like Jesus did. You straighten up your life, then you can come to Thanksgiving. Otherwise, forget it. In other words, saying, I want to have no positive spiritual influence ever in your life because your, disple- your behaviors displease me, even though they're not serving the Lord. They don't have the Holy Spirit inside. I don't think I'll evangelize and love and represent Jesus to the most important people in my circle of life. I'll just kick them out. You see how when we don't understand the ways of the Spirit, we can become self-righteous and justify the exact opposite of what Jesus taught? That's why we need to not only have the mind bucket, we need the spirit bucket too to give us that interior sense of green and red lights turning off and on in our life. And I'm not talking about Christmas. I mean like stop and go, right? So they can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Really important. Really important. So when we think about this, there's no practice within our Christian life that I believe more vividly demonstrates this point than praying in the spirit, praying in supernatural language. And this is kind of where we're heading tonight, so finally you're like, thank God, we'll finally get there. But I wanted to give this big background on this so that we kind of understand where Paul is coming from in this because the context answers the majority of our questions about this. You go, oh, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I get it. So when we think about praying in the spirit or speaking in tongues, the Bible kind of goes out of its way to show us that there are two different types or kinds or functions of tongue speaking. Now, for of the world's 680 million Pentecostals out of the billion one uh, evangelical, or billion rather, uh, evangelicals in the world, is the biggest segment of what God is doing in the evangelical world, and that doesn't even include the spirit-filled Catholics, of which there are boatloads of. Um, so. A lot of the more, uh, more um, hyper-analytical, evangelical mindset, and there are brothers and no disrespect, but they look at people like us and go, man, you people are Fruit Loops. You're crazy. It's not because they don't have the Holy Spirit inside, but their, their discipleship has taught them fear anything that you can't validate with scientific method, except the resurrection. Everything else, danger, 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 Right? And so when you look at what Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church to understand, he's trying to get them to understand the world is bigger than you. The world is bigger than your understanding. So let's look at the next one if we can. When we think about speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, the Bible demonstrates there's two different types, kinds, functions, although some of the evangelical world that doesn't believe in practice in it says, no, all tongues is one thing. But Paul goes out of his way to describe differently. He even uses a very different verb for the personal praying in the spirit, the Greek verb prosukamai, to pray, that he never uses for the public expression of tongues, which we'll see in a moment. So when we think about the two types or kinds of speaking in tongues, we have personal tongues. How many of you are a person? How many of you have a tongue? See how that works, right? Okay. And then we have public tongues, an entirely different gift, as we'll see, um, the one that most shy people are afraid of, all right? So 
well, I can preach long because it's raining now. You don't want to go out in your parking lot this way. Okay, thank you, Lord. All right, let's go to the next one. So we have, first of all, we have personal tongues, and I'll step away if you want to snap pictures. Um, not of me, but it's easier than taking notes. So uh, personal tongues, we, that is the equivalent biblically of praying in the Spirit, which is our eventual destination here tonight, which we're cl- climbing up on. So number one, it's for everyone. Did you know if you're a Christian, the ability for you to pray in tongues is a component of your spiritual potentials because of salvation? You go, wait a minute, I thought that not everyone did that. We'll get to that one in a moment. But of personally praying in tongues, that's for everyone in the realm of possibility. It's not the most important part of your spiritual life. It's probably among the second or third tier important things. Uh, Jesus places it, and the Bible places it at the same level of importance as water baptism, right? Boy, it's really coming down now. You have a good roof here? Okay, all right, we're all set, we're all set. So, um, Number two, it encourages the person doing it, the individual. So if you pray in tongues, you get built up, but no one else is really benefited or blessed by it. As we see in Acts 2, it can cause some people to go, wow, amazed. Other people to go, eh, that person's nuts, you know, or they're drunk or whatever. It doesn't benefit anyone else. Um, It doesn't need anyone else's attention. Um, It's the sign confirming someone has indeed been baptized in the Spirit, although remember, because uh, praying in tongues for the first time is the biblical indication that the apostles looked for and recognized to prove that person has been baptized in the Spirit, Acts 11. Um, Because of that, a lot of people think the baptism in the Spirit is the same thing as just speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is like Painesville. Baptism in the Spirit is like the galaxy. I mean, yeah, Painesville is located in the galaxy, It's a small part, it's an important part, especially if you're here, but it's not the whole thing. And the baptism of the Spirit is much bigger than merely speaking in tongues, right? A lot of people don't know that, and that's, they kind of, they get to the spot where they speak in tongues, and then they burp their Tupperware on the revival services a couple times a year, and then that's it. But they don't understand the vistas of the Spirit-empowered life that are available for them. Um, No interpretation is required. Did you know when you pray in tongues, there's actually no reference to someone praying in tongues in the Bible and receiving an interpretation for that in their known language. Say, what about the he that speaketh in tongues, uh, pray also that he may interpret. That is clearly a public utterance. People teach this. I disagree with them. There's just, in Paul's train of thought, there is absolutely, that's not to say that God couldn't do that, right? But it's not normal. Uh, So there are the usuals, the way God does things, and then the unusuals. This would, that would be on the unusual side. So suffice it to say, you could pray in tongues for 50 years and never have an interpretation, and everything's okay. Nothing wrong with that, okay? Now, um, this one is called the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, why this is important, a lot of people use the term gift of tongues um, to speak of praying in tongues. Paul's really careful about that. And the reason why is because a lot of people that are brand new misunderstand if you're a new person into a Pentecostal, charismatic, full gospel, whatever, I prefer Christian, church, um, and your first introduction probably to hearing the language of the Spirit is probably in the public tongues with interpretation, and you will be surprised, but a lot of people, they'll come up to me afterwards and they go, hey, I'm interested in getting that Holy Spirit thing where you say the funny words, but I'm just afraid that God will make me do that at work. Their misunderstanding comes because they don't have any context on it. Because it appeared to them like the Holy Spirit mugged somebody in Pew 7, seat C, 
and made them stand up and emote and spray, you know, tears and spittle and some for auctioneering and Romulan or whatever. And then all of a sudden they collapse in an emotional heap and somebody else with a prophet's megaphone over here, you know, my children, my children, are usually prophecies and interpretations start with the naming of a soap opera. And, and then they go on and give the, you know, the thing. And so they, they think their, their normal, okay, their observation combined, all mind bucket stuff says God made them do that. So they go, well, I'm afraid, I really want all that God has for me, but I'm afraid God's going to make me do that at work. I'm going to be in my cubicle and all of a sudden God's going to hit manual override and I'm going to stand up and start screaming out. And then after, when I collapse, then someone's going to peek around from the copy room for the Lord would say into the business office, you know, whatever. And whenever we use gift of tongues outside of its intended biblical concept, it could, could lead to some confusion. Now look at the second one, which is um, public tongues. So public tongues has an entirely different purpose. Personal tongues, praying the Spirit builds you up. Public tongues with interpretation doesn't build you up. It builds everybody else up if it's done properly. In fact, if you've ever been used in, in public tongues or interpretation, you probably weren't so much built up as you were heart palpitations, a little panic attack, and maybe pitting your shirt out, you know, because you're doing something deeply vulnerable that your mind bucket can't verify, and you're doing it publicly, putting yourself under public scrutiny for something that's a very spirit bucket-oriented thing. That's why a lot of times there's emotion. It doesn't have to be, but a lot of emotion because there's friction between the mind, tug-of-war rope between the mind and the spirit going, don't do it, you might get it wrong, you know, let it go, and, and this kind of stuff. So this one is not for everyone. You know the scripture, does everyone speak in tongues? No. It's speaking of the public gifting. In fact, Paul couples them together. Does everyone, Laleo, speak out loud in tongues and interpret? No, 1 Corinthians 12.30. He's not at all talking about the private, personal praying in tongues there. It's about spiritual, public, spiritual gifts, in that case, within a church service. So if you've been using that excuse to not open up to praying in tongues, sorry. That's not what he's talking about, right? Okay, it encourages everyone else. If it's done properly, it encourages everyone else. Uh, we were recently in a church service where apparently the lady giving the interpretation of tongues uh, sold vitamins because she gave a big, in-depth thing about I even forget what the herb was, but anyway, I was like, what in the world? And I almost went down and tased her, uh, but the pastor got to her before I did. And it wasn't because she was a lady either. Usually men are worse at that because a lot of times they do it angry, which is how many know prophesying angry does not reflect Jesus. Edification, exhortation, and comfort is not angry, right? So, but anyway, all right, so sorry for my pet peeves there. But it encourages everyone else. It requires your attention, and probably, I imagine you guys have some kind of protocol, whether it's publicly stated or it's just kind of known from your culture of how you do those things. And um, I always encourage churches, you know, especially since pandemic, it's like if you've got spiritual gifts, verbal spiritual gifts going on, it needs a microphone involved or else nobody online gets blessed by it. And a lot of people are afraid of this, but man, it sorts out the, I'm not so sure maybe that is God or not, it sorts out the people to... Uh, Anyway, kind of vets things. So, uh, requires their attention. Public tongues and interpretation, never the sign confirming spirit baptism in the Bible. You go, what about Acts 2? Acts 2 is private praying in the spirit, but with bilingual eavesdroppers. And if you do the math, out of the perhaps 120 speakers, only 13 recognized languages were spoken. So that gives, what, 11.5% 
of the languages spoken happen to be known languages for bilingual people around. No wonder Paul said it could be the tongues of men or angels, you know, when we speak. Um, it requires interpretation. If you have a public tongues without interpretation, you must close the church. You must expunge the membership and start from scratch. No. It's a, people overcorrect on all this stuff. Number one, it's, it's, a, it's a, a nod to the leaders. Hey, we need to teach on this. I need to have some relational time with people being used in these things. This one is the gift of tongues, the undeserved charism of languages. Okay, so with all that, this, this, let me get, here's my points. You ready? It's going to go fast. Number one, praying in tongues is not intellectually fulfilling, mind bucket, but it is rather spiritually fulfilling. Different rules. How many of you were surprised if you've experienced the wonder of praying in tongues? You were surprised the first time it happened that your brain still worked while you were doing it. That floored me. Because again, you know, we build a lot of our understanding based on observation. Like when new people hear tongues and they think that God's going to make them do that at work. I just always thought when I heard someone speaking in tongues, it looked like, you know, they were crying and shaking and rolling and falling and jumping and dancing. I just thought that that's the only way because I didn't realize that I only noticed people encountering the Spirit who were encountering Him in a way noticeable to me. Like if you're, even right now, maybe you're feeling the glory of God and you're just sitting there, uh, I wouldn't notice that. So, you know, I would have no point of reference. Like, how many of you have ever sensed God's presence deep inside and you felt his holiness and power so much you didn't want to move a muscle because you didn't want to ruin it, right? But your neighbor doesn't have any clue. They're there thinking, honey nut Cheerios are regular at the grocery store. Hmm, I don't know. And here you're lost in the third heaven and nearly immobilized by the presence of God. But they can't tell from the outside what's going on. That's why we never judge spiritual substance with our five senses. We use the spirit tools for that, right? Because we'll get to a wrong conclusion. When we pray in tongues, our brain goes, hey, wait a minute, what are you saying? Like, I had always thought that when I went to pray in tongues that I would be levitating off in the third heavens, Pink Floyd music playing, heffalumps and woozles dancing around me, you know, purple haze, both figuratively and musically, you know, and, but I was shocked. My brain goes, what in the world? Matter of fact, there was a lot of tension between my mind and spirit buckets. I feel like I need to do something, but everything inside, don't, you'll get it wrong. I'm uncomfortable with that. That's always been my mouth. What are you doing with my mouth? What are you saying? Stop, right? Anybody felt some of that tension? It's normal because it's a different new type of experience exercising a different part of your spiritual life. doesn't satisfy your brain. Your brain's going, I'm not so sure about it. Oh, this is weird. But your spirit's going, woohoo! Right? Because you've had your spirit in the backseat of your Christian Volkswagen Beetle, your entire Christianity, and now you're like, oh, why don't you get out and stretch your legs a little bit? Look at the next one, please. Paul puts it this way, and he does it a whole lot better than I can. For if I pray in a tongue, prosukamai, to pray, my spirit prays, but my mind is what? Unfruitful. 
A hyper-rationalistic Christian will say, well, therefore, if my mind is not benefited by it, I will not do it because my mind is the measure of all things. But what does Paul say? What will I do about that? I'm going to do it anyway. And he even expands it. He says, I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my mind also. I'll even lean in when I'm singing and sing with my spirit. Did you know your spirit can pray and your spirit can sing? And I will sing with the mind also. We have to start trusting the Holy Spirit to take us places we can't get to with our own abilities and understandings. Number two, praying in tongues biblically is perfect prayer and is vitally important. Praying in tongues is not the most important thing It's not like, well, if you're saved and then you speak in tongues, then you get extra, like a discount on your tithe and preferred parking and, you know, you could be an early adopter, you get on the beta list from heaven, whatever. It's not like that at all. There are only two possible spiritual statuses. We are either saved or lost, and there are no degrees of salvation. Like, you know, pastor is saved, you know, but his wife is really saved, Although that one might be true, actually, come to think of it, right? right, right. Um, so, but it's not like that. Even though we sometimes feel that way, there's no ranking or no ladder climbing of rank and status spiritually. How many know we're all just grateful that we don't have to go to hell anymore, right? So this is not like, well, when you pray in tongues, you're, you, know, you earn your next you know, royal stranger badge or whatever. It's the, the tongues one. It looks like the Rolling Stones logo, you know. You get it right there by your greenhorn. Uh, but... Um, Look how Paul states this in Romans chapter 8, another great mind-spirit discourse in Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Um, Go back just a second, sorry, just park on that, groanings too deep for words business. The previous slide, please. So uh, if you're familiar with this portion, there are people that go, oh, he's just talking about you know, intense prayer, when you're just, you know, really sensing God and, you know, like normal prayers here, but praying in the spirit is like you drink a Red Bull and then you do it, you know, then you pray. And it's just more zeal and extra caffeination spiritually, extra passion, perhaps extra emotion. And a lot of people literalize the groanings part here. And so if you're familiar with uh, New Testament theologians today, which you may or may not be, probably not, but um, maybe... But probably the most respected Paul scholar alive today on planet Earth is an Assemblies of God guy, Gordon Fee. Anybody ever heard of Gordon Fee before? Tremendous. If you want to understand the Bible better, he's got a great book. Write this one down if you like to read. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth is like a book that will change the Bible for you. So, so good and keep you in the rails. Really helpful. But Gordon Fee, the greatest, most respected evangelical Paul scholar breathing today, now probably 90 years old, but great, great, respected guy. He said, for decades, I tried to make this groanings too deep for words anything but praying in tongues. I tried all sorts of fancy footwork, but I have resolved myself. There is nothing else that Paul is talking about. This is a colorful metaphor for praying in tongues. When you understand how Paul uses language, this is what he's talking about. Groanings too deep for words are, I mean, yeah, we probably have all been there when some calamity is hit and all you can say is, oh, 
oh God, and you're groaning and travailing in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not this. This is tongues, okay? Then the next one, please. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is. See the language usage again? Why? Because he intercedes for the saints, not the pathetic football team, but Christians. That's where that word is. He intercedes for the saints. How? According to the perfect will of God. Most prayer, the majority of our prayer life will be praying from the mind, out of our intelligence, out of our understanding. But when we allow our spirit to pray, we are now praying with divine intelligence, God's intelligence. The spirit who knows the mind and depths of God is now helping us to combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words in the perfect will of God. Years ago, uh, Rochelle's brother, who uh, was an Assemblies of God missionary to Indonesia for years and just actually passed away in 2020 from cancer but, or complications, but um, he, in, in 1999, he was changing his field from Amsterdam to Indonesia, and he was itinerating around Pennsylvania, and even though he's from Kansas, but itinerating out there with some really dear friends of ours, close friends, and the pastor that he was with is still the pastor today. We were just at this church three years ago, 2019. Um, we were there for Easter week, right? And he, pastor, and the lady involved in this story, we all got in a huddle and told the story again, and the details were even better than I remembered it. So Doug's there. He preaches his mission service. He calls the whole church forward to pray. Really quiet uh, area, central Pennsylvania. The town is Newville by, like, Chambersburg, Carlisle. A lot of farmy, uh, Germanic, Pennsylvania, Dutch kind of culture there. People are real quiet. They love the Lord, but they love him quietly, you know. Deep, deep passion, but, like, you know, we do not speak out loud these things kind of stuff, you know. And so he calls them forward to pray. The whole church comes up. They're praying around the altars, and they're kneeling in the front pews praying. And Doug's just kind of pacing and praying in the open area and probably the loudest person there just because they're so quiet spiritually, yet very authentic. And as Doug's pacing the floor, he comes over here to this side, right about where Pastor's sitting. They have four seating sections. He comes right over by Pastor and on this row right here, right by where Pastor is across the aisle, he hears this woman quietly praying, but he's st uh, struck by some of the words she's saying. So he kind of, without creeping on her, he kind of gets a little closer. He listens for a moment. He goes over to Pastor, and he goes, Pastor, Pastor Jeff Kettering, still Pastor there. He said, do you know that lady? He goes, yeah, she's like, she's our church secretary. She's in charge of our women's ministry. He's like, when I say church secretary, that like, She's a minister at our church. Like, she, it's, it's a ministry to her. And in fact, she and her husband are like the best people in the church. And he said to me, if I had five more couples like them, we'd take the whole county for Jesus. Like, big compliment, right? And so Doug asks him, he goes, has she ever traveled overseas? He goes, I don't know. I don't think so. Doug asked him further, did she ever study foreign language? And he said, I, I don't know. She's from around here. I mean, maybe some Spanish in high school. I don't know. He goes, okay, come here, come here. He taps her on the shoulder. So sorry to interrupt you, but would you come here? And he has a powwow. Doug has a powwow with the church pastor and this lady. Uh, Carol is her name. And he says to her, have asked her the same questions. Have you traveled overseas? No. Have you studied a foreign language? Nope. He said, well, I was struck. I, I overheard you when you were praying in tongues. And immediately her face went like this. She goes, oh, apologetically, oh, my tongues are really weird. They don't sound like everybody else's that are kind of like melodic and whatever. 
Mine's just kind of weird. And he said, well, how long have you been praying in that language? She goes, well, since I was baptized in the Spirit at the Pennsylvania Assemblies of God Youth Camp in Cherry Tree, Pennsylvania. So 25 years ago or so. He goes, really? She goes, yeah. She said, I often wonder because mine sounds so weird and kind of think that maybe mine's not as real or even as real as other people's or even real at all. But I kind of do it anyway because I sense the Holy Spirit, but it's always confusing to me. And he said to her, well, let me explain to you. This is a miracle. You were praying. Your language of the Spirit is perfect Sumbanese-accented Bahasa Indonesia. I know that because that's where I live. I live on the island of Sumba that has a very specific dialect of Bahasa Indonesia language. And he said, I was arrested by what you're saying. He said, have you ever noticed that you speak basically two different phrases and there's one you'll repeat three or four times and then you repeat an alternate sentence just like once? And one is much more and then the other. She goes, yeah, I've noticed that. It's like a one to three ratio. He goes, yeah, exactly. He says, let me tell you what you're saying. I hope this doesn't mess you up. She goes, no, I'd like to know. Wouldn't you like to know? You know? And I should, I'm praying that I would pray for the eagles more because they need it. Um, but she, he says to her, the first sentence, and then all of a sudden he gets a lump in his throat. He goes, and he starts crying. He said, you're saying, God, save the young people of Sumba, the island I minister on two young people. They have orphanages and schools and church plants, and I mean, it's massive, the ministry that they've set up there, now taken uh, on by new missionaries. A huge ministry there. They have 400 kids a day in their soccer uh, program, and just crazy stuff. And he's just choked up. He's like, that's who I'm calling. She goes, you're kidding me. You mean, I've been praying that same thing for 25 years. But then he said, the second sentence is really confusing to me. And she goes, well, what is it? He goes, I don't understand it. And he goes, it's just simply, he's like, you'll pray that one like three, four times. And then you pray this once. God, spare her leg. God, spare her leg. Now she starts bawling, and the pastor chokes up, and he goes, Doug, you're not going to believe this. She goes, my mother is 96 years old. She's in the hospital right now, and tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., she is scheduled to have her right leg amputated at the hip. She got a sore on her foot, and then it didn't heal, and it was spread well, the bottom of her foot spread through her whole foot and then up her leg, into her knee. Now it's mid-thigh, gangrene, and now she's getting streaks up just below her hip. And the doctor said, if we don't take care of this, I mean, can you imagine? That's a, a massive, life-changing operation, but at 96 when you don't heal well, very, very critical. And, and so they just prayed for her that night again. And, well, when we were there three years ago, I, I never knew the other end of that. And Carol told me, she said, you're not going to believe this. I, I, sorry we didn't tell you, you know, because I'm kind of a, uh, connected by family and relationships there. She said, I never told you this, but she said, I went back the next day. The surgery was at 6. I had to be there at 5 because I'm medical power of attorney. I had to sign the documents. I was there when the anesthesiologist came in and did his spiel. And I signed, yes, we understand. Yes, we consent. Yes, we understand the risks. And the surgeon came in with the team and said, here's what we're going to do. And he takes the blanket and flips it over on her leg, which was the foot was black. And then it went from brown to red and then streaks of red up her leg, gangrene, as nasty. And he flips the leg and he goes, huh, looks at the chart. Oh, must be. And he flips the other one. Then he flips them both and looks because they're both perfect, as perfect as a 96-year-old woman's legs are. And, and uh, he looked at the chart, which at that point had Polaroid pictures attached to it. 
showing the progress, because they do that with wound care, and maybe not Polaroids anymore, but at that point they did, showing the progress of the wound so they can track and see if it's getting better or worse. And he said, I can't, are you sure? I, and and he, they kept her overnight anyway, even though that was the morning, kept her overnight because they wanted to run tests on her and tests. They set her free. Her mother lived several more years with no further problems and went to heaven in her sleep at peace. Carol, Carol said to me, you know, since my mother's healing, my second alternate sentence totally changed. I wonder what I'm praying about now. When we pray in tongues, we're praying in the perfect will of God. Finally, praying in tongues trains my will and flesh to yield to the Holy Spirit. So, this is interesting because we all know the feeling of like we need to do something, we need to talk to someone about Jesus, we need to obey him in some way, but our mind bucket goes, don't do it, you're going to get it wrong, it's risky. Our mind bucket takes on the persona of the spiritual risk management department, right? Don't, no, no. And our spirit's bubbling up inside, we feel this urgency, the horse is jumping on the ranch. And anybody that's a Christian knows we're supposed to tell people about Jesus, right? I mean, that's our responsibility and joy biblically. It's not like we have a doctrinal problem on this. We have an ego problem on this. Once again, our brain is telling us, don't do it because if you follow God, you might look stupid. It's like a a door that the hinges have rusted shut on. Well, and then how many know you know it? Like when you walk away and don't do it, then you really know it was God. When God slathers the mother-in-law spirit on you that makes you feel bad, you know. You know that, that one, right? I'm not sure if that's theologically correct, but that's the way I interpret it. Pastor asked me to do a good mother-in-law joke tonight, so I did. So what happens? Every time I go to pray in the spirit, it's the same thing. My brain goes, trust me. That's not valuable. But every time I pray in the Spirit, I'm working through that on some level. And I'm saying, you know what? I bow the neck of my will to the Word of God and the leading of the Spirit over anything I think. I trust that more. And if I'm working that out with some regularity in my private life, I am training my proud will and flesh to be yielding to the Holy Spirit. So now when I'm at Walmart and God says, go talk to that some person over by the rutabagas, which sounds Pentecostal, um, when, go do that. I've already worked those rusty hinges loose in my personal life, and I'm already over myself in those ways. Now, I grew up in a church a lot like this. As a matter of fact, can, can the instrumentalists come back up? You guys are awesome, except the bagpipes guy, all right? So I was raised in a church a lot like Painesville, Assembly. I was raised at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Harrisburg First Assembly. It used to be two blocks back behind the governor's mansion on the Susquehanna River. And it was the 70s. I'm old. I'm 50. So, um, it, but I'm not as old as my wife, who's 21 days older than I am. And I never let her forget that, right? Um, and she's going to hit me afterwards. But um, <laughs> so I was, I'm a child of the 70s. And church was very different back then. There was good and bad, like the wardrobe was pretty bad. Um, and probably a little more legalism or a lot more. Um, but also, I was talking with pastor's father-in-law. People tend to get discipled a lot quicker when they spend more time in the house of God. You know, the, it takes faster. It soaks in. And um, 
so we were in church Sunday, Sundays. We were in church no less than four times, five if we did the pre-service prayers. But we had Sunday school, and that was always culminated with prayer for in our church. And then Sunday morning service always had prayer and altars. Then Sunday night at five o'clock we had CAs. Anybody know what CAs was? It was kind of a different way of doing youth group. CAs were Christ ambassadors, and it was strangely bad demographic: twelve years old to thirty-five. I'm glad they fixed that, right? Um, but then, then we had the 7 p.m. service, which that was always the red-hot zinger, especially during the charismatic renewal days. And, I mean, wow. I mean, you encounter God. And as a kid, I remember falling asleep in church and being translated by the Spirit, or maybe my parents, so that I'd wake up in my own bed the next morning. It was a miraculous thing, you know. And then we had Wednesday night. We had Friday night, all-night church prayer meetings. And then, well, a lot of times we had revivals, which would run two weeks every night, you know. And uh, I say all that to say we spent a lot of time in church. Now, of course, we didn't have Hulu, you know, but we spent a lot of time in church. And um, we only had three channels with it. You had to click. Remember those, you know? And, um, but growing up, uh, our church services were culminated by prayer times, and we would typically come forward to pray. It just was a psychological shift from I am in the place of the listener to now I'm going to wrestle with the Lord about this. I'm going to come to the altar, figuratively, but literally too, spiritually, and I'm going to pray about things because most Christians don't experience all that God has for them because they don't pray. They pray for their burger. Lord bless this fruit of my body, or they pray before a test. Lord, help me to remember the information I didn't study, or whatever it is. Amen. But they don't really bring their requests before God and really know Him in that way because they're afraid. They think prayer is some difficult, it's like a term paper you have to write and study for, rather than just prayer is really a text thread that's just always open between you and God all day long. And sometimes you spend longer times devoting yourself to it, but you just never disconnect. I mean, no, you're never booted off God's network, right? Just if a lot of people have this oppressive view of prayer, like, well, I would go to pray, but I've got to pray an hour, and I've got to make sense, and I've got to, you know, I've got Simon Cowell is judging the performance of it, and et cetera. But the way I was raised in church and prayer, you just did it. And when you were done, you were done, or you could restart and go get a drink of water and come back. It didn't matter. You were just engaging with God on that. And invariably, at the end of the service, our family would come down, and we would pray on the right section of our church because we sat in the, was sitting near the front, come pray in the front row. And the first people I ever heard pray in tongues were my mom and my dad, and then our pastor, uh, Phil Bongiorno, who had come out of the mafia out of Youngstown, Ohio. You know, a lot of mafia there in Youngstown. And gotten saved or whatever. And um, a great man of God, actually, just celebrated his 90th birthday. But the other person, after my parents and Pastor Bongiorno, that I heard pray in tongues, was my friend Jim's dad. And Jim's dad was like, he was like a deacon and whatever. Very uh, minimal education. I don't, I don't think he finished eighth grade, but probably like the wisest person in our church. Just deeply knew the things of God and just smart. Like uh, just a really amazing guy. He was a ranger commander and all that stuff too. But we're great, man. But he would come and just invariably, because people are kind of creatures of habit, we would come and pray in our spot every time, four times a Sunday, sometimes more during the week. And he would come and pray kind of in front of us. I mean, not like creeping on us like this, you know, but you know, just kind of finding a spot. And he was a pacer. He would pace and pray, you know. And so, and invariably when God would boil his water, he would start praying in tongues. Now, he wasn't doing a public utterance in tongues, so it wasn't so loud that it would confuse people, which is always a good thing for us. Pray in tongues on such a level, unless it's everyone's just entering in verbal prayer. Pray in tongues at such a level so that no one thinks that you're doing the public one. 
That way it, it causes a lot of uh, problems to not be uh, present. But he would pray in tongues, and because we were there beside him, um, I overheard him. And I would normally never repeat what someone else says when they pray in tongues because it doesn't belong to me. You know, it's theirs. That's why when we're praying for someone else to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, we would never say, just repeat the words, I'm praying in tongues. Because then we would be giving them the utterance and not the Spirit like the Bible demands, right? And it causes questions and problems down the road for them also. Uh, God has an utterance for every one of us by His Spirit, different utterance. But I'm going to say what He was saying, um, and I'm pretty sure it's a sin, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've I've already pre-repented for this. Um, Because growing up in church, some things are kind of funny as kids, you know? Anybody grow up in church? You know, there are people that take on similar behaviors and whatever and stuff. So, and no disrespect, great man and not disrespecting the way he did it or his character, stellar in every way, but simply because it happened so frequently and we were just right there a yard away, you know, it, it became something that my sisters and I would kind of joke about, not in a disrespectful way, but he would pray these words, Shikamo Baba, Shikamo Baba. That's all he ever prayed, Shikamo Baba, Shikamo Baba, different levels of emotion and intensity. And my sister, I know this is a sin, and I'm sorry, I repent. Uh, my sisters and I used to call him Brother Shikamo. I, I know that's wrong, but as kids, it just was kind of, you know, silly or whatever. No disrespect, no blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It just was kids, you know. And so even so, I remember when I was praying to be baptized in the Spirit myself, I had a conversation with God in my prayer time. I still remember it. I'm like, God, I know if I feel like I'm supposed to say Shikamo Baba, that that's not you, because that's Jim's dad's words. All right? And my sisters and I have talked about this over the years. So imagine my surprise. Go to the last picture of me, of me and a guy here. Um, when, when we were in Africa in, uh, this would have been like 2017, we were way out in the bush in Tanzania. We were ministering among, have you been to Tanzania, Pastor? With the, um, so did you meet Dolphy and Gil? Okay, so they minister among a people group called the Datog, an ancient Nilotic people group, about a quarter of a million, until 2002, zero known Christians in the history of the world. Gilligwenda is convert number one in the known missiological studies in the Datog, okay? Could have been others, but not that anybody knows of. Number one, he was the drunk. Missionary led him to the Lord. Now he's the apostle. He's planted like 40 churches, and we partner with them and do all kinds of stuff. Just great, great ministry. Tanzania and Assemblies of God missionaries. And uh, so we're in a prayer. I, we had been out doing some ministry, came back. We're praying actually with some Ohio pastors, with Gary and Rhonda Gray and with Daryl and Lori Booker, two Ohio. They're in Lima, and Gary and Rhonda are at Highway Tabernacle Youngstown now. And so we were in a hotel room praying. Gary was by the sliding glass door because it was so hot. We were all these pastors, and they're praying this little dinky hotel room with Gil Gwenda and his wife, Dolphy. And it was scorching hot, no air conditioner. But you couldn't open up the door the whole way because there were so many baboons out there, and they're trying to get the door. So Gary's standing there with his foot against the sliding glass door, having it open just as much. It has a pillow, and is trying to fan air into the room. I mean, you talk about problems in ministry, right? Make it create, he's creating his own HVAC ministry right there. We're praying in that room for probably an hour or so, just passionate prayer. And all of a sudden, across the room, I hear Gilligwenda pray, Shikamo Baba, Shikamo Baba, Shikamo Baba. I mean, my ears perked up right away. I went across the room and I put my arm around him and said, Gil, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. He goes, what's wrong? And I said, well, I have a question for you. Were you just praying in tongues? He goes, yeah, back and forth between Kiswahili, you know, and a little Haida Tog, and then English, because he speaks like nine languages. 
And I said, well, you were praying, and I'm trying to overcome this reverence. You were praying, and you said, Shikamo Baba? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, was that tongues? He goes, no, that's Kiswahili. I said, you don't say. You want to tell me what it is? And he goes, yeah, you know, Shikamo and Kiswahili is giving someone the highest level of honor possible. He said, for example, in, in Swahili culture, they really value seniors. I know here in America, we say the older you get, the more you just need to shut up and eat your cream corn until you die. How many of you know that's unrighteous, right? But they really value their seniors. And so if you were coming to a family dinner, you would bypass everyone and go right to grandma and grandpa, whoever the eldest relative is in the room, and you would bow to them and say, Shikamo, which literally means, like when you greet someone, I shake your hand, but Shikamo means I grasp your feet. And Baba is father. And my mind went back 30 years in the past for the first decade of my life hearing my friend Jim's dad pace the floor saying, I grasp your feet, Father. I grasp your feet, Father. Praying in the language of a people group who would be 25 years, or 20 years rather, until the convert number one happened. I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit can take us places that our mind can't take us. Do you want to go into new places with Him? Would you stand with me to your feet and would you just lean a little bit in the spirit bucket tonight with me? Come on. We've got nothing better to do. Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of the Lord, free me from the prison of me. Waves of God, waves of God, wash over us, wash over us. I just want to convert this room into a house of prayer for 10 or 15 minutes. Would you, would you join me? Come on, I know you're tired, and I've been super long tonight, but hey, we got three sessions in it one night. That's a bargain. Would you just join me? And just, just find a place to pray. If you're able to get out from where you are and find a different place to pray, please do so. If you stay where you're at, I understand some physically can't, but if you can, Come on, we got, if you're a walker, a pacer, we got aisles, we got spots. Let's just come. If you want to experience the baptism in the Spirit, just come and stand right over here. Touch your toes to the edge of this altar. We'll give instructions in just a moment. But come on, let's just begin all over this house. Will you join me in beginning to pray out loud from your mind? Come on, just pour out your mind to the Lord. Thank Him for His goodness. Thank Him for His mercy. Thank Him. Oh, I love you, Jesus. And as we begin that, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, whether you're present in this room or you're present online, right now you're just a prayer away from experiencing a right relationship with God. And you have a responsibility. You must pray. You must call out to the Lord. A lot of people are afraid they're not going to get it right or they'll say the wrong thing. The wrong thing is saying nothing to Him. So just begin to lift your voice to Him, even though you'll feel awkward. And ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Just ask him right now. He died on the cross to take the punishment of your sins. And he's waiting for you to call upon him. And the Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You could pray something like this. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. And that no one else can save me 
from my sin but you. I believe in you, Lord Jesus. Cleanse me. Rule and guide my life from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As we just continue to pray, I'm going to invite you in a moment to lean a little bit out of your mind bucket. If you're here to be baptized in the Spirit for the first time, it's very, very easy. The only prerequisite is that you've given your life to Jesus, okay? That's the only prerequisite. Oh, you're fine. You can stay where you're at. That's all right. And so, yeah, no, it's good. It's all good. And so it's very, very easy. In a moment, I'm going to ask us all to begin to lift our voice out loud. Even if you're tired, turn it up a decibel or two. Just punch your pride in its own face, all right? In just a moment. And as you begin to draw near to God, your goal is not to get things right or follow a script. You're not walking on a tightrope that's real easy to fall off. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You know what His presence is like. And in just a moment, you're going to feel the uh, wind of God is going to stir up inside of you. You're going to sense Him in some way. And as you sense Him, your job is just to lean over in the Spirit bucket. You're not going to understand. Your senses won't like it. Just lean over and begin to follow the promptings and leadings. God will prompt you to speak. You'll feel like you need to say something. Some people all of a sudden know or are just aware of the sounds they're supposed to say. Your job is just to follow the leading, not to judge it with your brain, but to judge it by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. It's very, very easy. Don't overthink it. Just lean. Open up your mouth and let the sound out. Just view that your mouth is like the bell of a trumpet. Your job is not to speak learned English intelligent sentences. Your job is to just play your instrument for the Lord. Let the sound out, out of your inner being. Relax your mouth and let her go. In a moment, as all of us begin to lean, probably everyone, if not most everyone in this room, will find themselves able to lean over to the spirit bucket in just a moment. And as we do, I challenge you, Pray a little louder than normal. I'm not trying to work you up, but trying to get you some freedom. Pray a little louder. Turn it up, because most people, they'll pray at this level in English, and then when they pray in the Spirit, it drops dramatically, because, and even body language, like hand over their mouth, because they're just not sure. Trust the ranch tonight, okay? And when the Holy Spirit begins to move inside, if you turn it up intentionally, a couple decibels, relax your mouth, and you, many of you will find there's more in there than you've ever allowed to come out. The Bible uses language and languages to describe praying in tongues. Thank God for words and syllables. They're real and legit, but there's always more, always more in God's depths. Come on now, let's, let's lift our voices to God out of the mind bucket. Some of you might even want to stand up and lean. I don't know. Lord Jesus, I love you. There's none like you. There's none like you, Jesus. You've been so faithful time and time again I've seen your faithful hand in my life I'm breathing right now because of your miracles you're so good to me Jesus thanks for not giving me what I deserve thank you for letting me sense your invisible and yet tangible presence in my life oh I love you Lord I love you Jesus I love you Jesus come on out of your memory now think of something that the Lord has done and just speak it out loud to him in gratitude Let's exercise our mind right now. Oh, Jesus, thank you for saving my life, Lord, so many times physically. Thank you for healing my body. Thank you for guiding and directing me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Now there's more in this atmosphere than just what we can think Lord, make us more aware of your already present presence now, I pray. 
Let the wind of God blow. Let the wind of God blow. Spring up, oh well. Spring up, oh well. Spring up, oh well. Come on, if you're ready, lean over in that spirit bucket a little bit. You can speak words out of your known language all day long. Let your spirit pray for a little while. Some of you haven't prayed in tongues for a while. Let it bubble out.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.